Welcome back to Chat with the Designers, a weekly technical discussion forum for amateur radio homebrewers and experimenters, with your hosts, George N2APB and Joe N2CX. Okay, welcome to Chat with the Designers. Uh, this is your live, online, and interactive weekly magazine for homebrewers, QRPers, and hams on a worldwide basis. This is your co-host, George, N2APB, along with co-host, Joe, N2CX. Tonight's session is going to deal with a topic that is simply called installing a vertical antenna, but it covers everything from the base to grounding to radials to feed line to measuring and tuning that vertical antenna. Okay, now we're going to uh, start with uh, a new section of Chat with the Designers here that is going to cover each week. Just take a few minutes at the beginning of each week's session and talk about a few highlights and things that are happening in the QRP world. News items, if you will. Joe, do you want to touch on first that the item by, and these are just very fast bullets. We're not going to discuss them much, but we just wanted to bring various highlights of the week to you. Maybe later on we can get into discussion of them or not. We know that the, the KX3 is shipping now, and many people are starting to get their KX3. There's a lot of excitement about that. Of course, see uh, Ellacraft.com for more information there. Joe, do you want to mention about the Steve Weber rig? Steve Weber, that great designer that he is, has come up with a rig he calls the MTR, Mountaintop Radio, which is a two-band rig, similar in design to the... Um, the ATS series, the Appalachian Trail series rigs he has. This one is switchable. It doesn't have plug-in modules. It's switchable. will fit in an Altoids tin and runs the usual five watts or so. And components are supplied with the kit um, to go on uh, any of two bands, uh, 80 through 20 meters. Uh, you, you pick which uh, components you want. And he sold the kit for $100. He went through something over 100 kits, and uh, as is no surprise to anyone, uh, they sold out very quickly. He expects another run of them in the fall. Um, I got mine, and uh, we'll be building it. Uh, back to you for more, George. Thanks, Joe. Another um, kit that is uh, in progress that you all might be interested in if you don't follow uh, Chuck Adams, K7QO, on his QRP tech list is uh, and it's a kit that it's the 8740B like signal generator uh, design project that Chuck has gone through and and explaining and uh, Doug Hendricks of QRP kits is providing parts kits for that for those who want to follow along on that. Joe? Yeah, thank you, George. Yeah, it's um, it's actually a design for a tunable oscillator that covers um, a portion of the uh, uh, the HF handbands with um, main and ver vernier tuning um, based on the um, 8640, very popular um, HP signal generator. The design came from uh, W7ZOI. Chuck and Doug got together, and uh, Doug is, or Chuck is doing a um, uh, kind of a tutorial uh, build along sort of thing on Manhattan style construction for those two uh, people to build it. And the KS6DS, uh, Doug provided a kit at cost for $25. He had a limited number, and uh, they went very quickly. Uh, you can follow it on the QRP Tech Yahoo list. You have to be a member to follow it, but it's very interesting to follow along. Should prove uh, very educational. And kind of along that line is we have some, um, a couple of kits that we've been using and developing and following along here on Chat with the Designers that they are just about ready to, to come out. It'll be another week or so before we will have in our hands and available for members at just about cost. It's going to be the uh, the sweeper input card, the SIC, if you recall our project where we had accurate power measurements. The growler, which is the Morse enunciated SWR uh, bridge and meter. And the rainbow tuner design of our of our very own N2CX uh, from a long time ago that we are bringing back to the surface and through popular demand making that available once again. Also wanted to mention there were three significant articles or three three good articles in recent magazines that kind of came out in the last week or so. One was QST 
has uh, an article on an AFSK interface for Android smartphones. So kind of like the long-awaited, portable-as-it-can-be uh, PSK interface using your Android uh, smartphone, plug the audio line into your rig or maybe even through a small adapter and you too can uh, have your PSK waterfall uh, at least listen I'm not sure much more how much how they do the the terminal part but you might want to look in current QST for that in uh, QEX we mentioned this last week but uh, it's a very very good article there's one on the simple SDR receiver by Michael Hightower KF6SJ uh, and um, uh, that's a, a nice, inexpensive uh, SDR approach using an SOC. As, um, it's a uh, um, computer on a, uh, a chip. Uh, a lot of different components that are configurable in a, in a software manner. Also in that issue is something concerning frequency stability using GPS. Now that personally is something I'm um, working on here in my own lab um, as I'm working toward um, JT65 capabilities for a couple of uh, my projects here. Some of you know what those are, but it's really a fascinating topic. Uh, synchronizing time, uh, your time or a device's time with GPS signals. Lastly, for those of you who get the Elector magazine, Elector, um, it's a fabulous magazine for homebrewers. There's a really good article, in my opinion, concerning pre-amplifier. It's called the Preamplifier 2012, a truly high-end audio control preamp. Besides being a ham and, and some other things, I'm also an audiophile, and I love good music, and uh, a preamp is really essential for that. So if you're into audio, either for um, use with your rig and your station, or just for listening, that's a great article to look into. Okay, any other news before we, uh, we get going with the show here, Joe? Yeah, I wanted to inject one more uh, little tidbit. Uh, my son and I drove down to uh, the D.C. area today, and um, I was I was listening to uh, NASA TV and watched the uh, Space Shuttle Columbia land at Dulles Air Force Base. It's going to be in the uh, Air and Space Museum down there. That was cool to watch. Uh, Fifty of our closest friends stood on a hilltop and uh, watched the shuttle do... Uh, loops over D.C. in the surrounding area, then came in and landed at Dulles. Kind of a neat experience, one of a kind. A good point. That's a very, it's a big milestone, a sad milestone, too. Uh, just a news clip I heard on, on TV before coming down here tonight. Uh, a young kid was there watching the landing, and uh, a newscaster made, in a, made a point of saying, uh, so you want to be an astronaut when you grow up. Uh, here's, you can talk to a, a real live astronaut, and I forgot the person's name. But she said, uh, uh, the newscaster said, what's the one thing that you can advise or what kind of advice can you give to this person, this little kid that wants to be an astronaut? And the former astronaut said, learn Russian or learn Chinese. So that's a sad commentary on where we're going to be in a, in a very trailing position for the next 10 years or so before we catch up with that technology that now is going to lay dormant. Okay, enough with the, enough with the news of the day. And let's get on with today's uh, episode of uh, Vertical antenna installation. Just to set the stage, last year Joe and I um, helped a very good friend of ours, uh, Nancy, NJ8B, who now lives out in West Virginia. She needed, she moved into a new house and she was looking for a way to, to get active in her station once again. So um, Joe and I took stock of the whole situation and figured out what might be the best uh, thing to do and one was to put up an antenna. And today Right now, we're going to go through some of the logic and the reasoning for that, the steps that we went through in doing that, and uh, the results that were achieved. Now, one can think that, okay, putting up an antenna, I've done it like a, a 10, 15, 50 times maybe in my career, right? So why do I want to listen here? Well, hopefully, as you see on the on our webpage, our whiteboard on the webpage at Chat with the Designer's uh, location, there are some techniques that we used. Um, we've refined them over the years. We've used some equipment in doing so, some standard um, measurement equipment in our, in our shacks, in order to get what I think were some superior results. Now, admittedly, we used a, a good antenna kit. Um, we used good techniques for ground radial installation and some good suppliers for that. But at the end of the day, if you want to have an antenna that's going to stand up, <laughs> quite literally, um, or tip over, in uh, in rough times and good, 
and to have good all band coverage as much as you can with a vertical. Um, and these are some of the techniques that you might want to consider along the way. Of course, these are offered as suggestions and uh, modifications are encouraged along the way. You, we each have our own techniques and capabilities that we're good at, be it mechanical, be it soldering, be it electrical or analysis or or just plain digging, digging, digging trenches and putting cables in it. Uh, so you will have a chance to add your own specific um, gem to uh, the cookbook here on being able to take this vertical antenna and uh, uh, put it up. So um, why don't we get into it right away, straight away, and we'll be speaking for about the next 45 minutes or so and uh, cover what we think are the important parts. Um, as this is an interactive uh, session, I indicated up front that uh, uh, the persona that we have for the chat with the designers is that it's a live, online, and interactive weekly magazine. So this week's magazine topic is the antenna, and the interactive part comes from you. Uh, Joe and I often talk after each, uh, each, after each uh, episode of Chat with the Designers, and we, we kind of uh, say, man, that was a great session. And you know why? Because we had a lot of interactive questions, which means we capture people's attention, and uh, we either th say things that are provocative and get, and get corrected along the way, or it's uh, truly areas of information that are, are useful to you and you want to get elaboration on them. So we really encourage you to ask questions. And if you are listening along on the podcast, we don't want to leave you folks out either. Um, contact information is contained on our webpage, the Chat with the Designer webpage. And we urge you, we encourage you, we, we uh, implore you to write to us and with your questions, with your comments, um, with suggestions for future topics as we go along the way. And we will indeed, we are taking stock of all of that input. And in fact, at the end of the sessions, we're going to start developing a bit of a, um, uh, a few minutes at the end that kind of addresses those questions and maybe solicit some more input from you live, uh, you people that are here with us live. And uh, together between the podcast listeners and live sessions, we can make this a really useful investment of everybody's time for listening. Okay, Joe, um, I'm going to turn it over to you right now, and um, maybe what we can do is start off by saying, you know, what uh, the antenna that we chose, and the butternut, and why we uh, uh, why we chose it. Some of it is obvious, maybe some not, and uh, we'll just take it from there. Go ahead. Thank you, George. By the way, uh, George mentioned we do want to be interactive here, and um, if while we're talking, you want to get our attention to ask a question, um, the um, <clears throat> those of us who have uh, Windows clients believe the uh, Apple is the same way. If you uh, press your push to talk button, uh, a blue light will appear next to your name. Uh, you, those of you who have those clients can see a blue light next to my name. And if you click it back and forth, on and off, like I'm going to do now, you can see it flashing so that uh, we know that uh, you want to get our attention to ask a question. Okay, the antenna we chose was the butternut vertical. Um, these days it's getting a little expensive, but it is a very high performance vertical for, for something relatively small in size. Um, we chose the HF9V, which covers nine bands. It covers uh, 80 meters through uh, six meters, all of the WARC bands and all of the normal um, other hand bands. Um, on 80, it's restricted in bandwidth slightly because it's so short and it's a loaded vertical. But on the other bands, um, except for the uh, possible exception of six meters, um, it covers primarily the whole band. It's fairly efficient, though short, uh, above 80 meters because uh, it uses uh, stub decoupling and uh, tuned circuits to decouple portions of the antenna as to as opposed to the normal trap vertical thing, uh, which makes the uh, makes for efficiency. And using it with a ground system, as we'll discuss later, makes it very efficient. Um, it, it's very good once you, it, it is very easy to tune up and it's reasonably unobtrusive. Um, one of the uh, considerations Nancy Feeney had at her site was that um, she she really didn't want it to be too uh, obvious to the neighbors. 
So where we installed it was kind of behind her house off to one side. And if you look in uh, pictures at the end of uh, our whiteboard stuff on the web, you can see it's behind a bunch of shrubbery. So when it's up, you know, the top will, will stick above the shrubbery and be visible. But when it's not in use, we have a tilt over base so that it hides and uh, it's not very visible from any but the, um, the neighbor uh, right next door. So it, uh, it's not an eyesore in the neighborhood. Um, George and I have both had butternuts in the past and uh, we've been very happy with their performance. So um, we wanted a trouble-free, reasonably efficient, uh, effective antenna for Nancy and uh, the butternut uh, filled the, uh, filled the, uh, uh, filled the, uh, filled the task there, did the task quite well. Reasonably simple to put together. Uh, if you're not fumble-fingered as I was uh, putting it together in Nancy's garage and comes with very good instructions uh, that um, <laughs> even the most fumble-fingered of us uh, can, uh, can assemble without uh, major difficulties. Sometimes it takes a second person looking over your shoulder, but uh, pretty good. Um, George, why don't you continue with another another aspect? Okay, Joe. Before we leave this uh, this one, uh, you touched on a point that, that you are constantly harping on with me, and and rightly so, and that's the efficiency of vertical antennas. I don't want to. I don't think we should give anybody the false impression that this thing's going to get out like gangbusters or or anything like a uh, like a, a, a half wave. Um, up at uh, you know 90 feet or something. Can you comment on the efficiencies in, in general for verticals? Yes. Um, primarily what you want is a quarter wave or better wavelength antenna uh, to get efficiencies that are over 50% or so. And you can, you can do that pretty much as long as you have a sufficient ground system. Um, of course, we haven't measured the, uh, the efficiency, but... Uh, this thing with its construction not using traps on uh, 40 and above uh, is reasonably efficient, puts out a, a very low angle signal, which is very effective for DX. On 80, it suffers a little bit because it's, uh, it's short, uh, so the efficiency is probably down to 25% or less. But uh, for something with such a small footprint, that's, uh, that's not a bad price to pay for an antenna. It's almost a stealth uh, Stealth installation. Yeah. Um, okay. That's that's the point I was trying to get to. Ultimately, I don't think anything really can beat uh, uh, the old reference dipole, uh, horizontal dipole. Uh, that is that would happen to be very very high, several wavelengths above the ground, which is almost an ideal, or even a gain uh, type of Yagi that you would have on a tall tower, but for many many reasons that uh, some of which we'll talk about this evening, the vertical is a very good alternative and this particular vertical from Butternut in our opinion is a, is a fairly good one. Um, there's an entire list of, uh, uh, there's a Butternut list, an entire group of people that, that regularly extol the virtues of, of it and like any of our various equipment that we have here in our shacks. The followers, there are groups of followers that can uh, guide you and with tips and techniques and, and such and same too here with the Butternut. Lastly, um, the uh, before I move on to the, the installation part, is the uh, Joe mentioned the assembly part of uh, it's easy for even for bumble fingers to do. And as I recall, it was a very very hot day. And I think the photos that we've got on our, our whiteboard here on the on the website can really attest to that. Uh, we were we were drenched, and it, it was a, it was quite an ordeal because of the heat. And anyways, Joe and I were sitting in the shade of the garage trying to put this thing together. And, you know, the, the sections were extending out the garage and we were attaching one section and another. And oops, we did the wrong one. We had to go back and take it apart. But nonetheless, if, if Joe and I can do it kind of in a, and with heat prostration, I think we'll, we're, uh, we're just about anybody could do it. So give it a try. And I think you'll be surprised in uh, how easy something like that goes. One of the first things to really consider about, uh, to consider is where you're going to put it on your lot. And uh, as this is a system, uh, this is not going to be a cookbook, step one, two, three, four, five. Everything kind of interacts and interrelates. So um, while we will talk about ground radials in a bit, uh, 
the ground radials that you choose and how and where you choose to put them really affects a lot where you want to put your antenna in, in your lot in your in your backyard generally of course to stay away from trees or metal fences um, and heavily trafficked area if you have children is always a good move I have mine personally in the back of the yard which at one point was treeless now the trees are overtaking my antenna I'm going to need to move it but in this case here we put the antenna in, uh, as you can see from the last photo on the web page, close to Nancy's house. And then, um, uh, again, for reasons of stealth, and then we put the radials off in almost a 180-degree uh, um, arc around the antenna. In other words, half of the uh, ground radial ground was uh, uh, covered, whereas the other 180 degrees of that uh encircling of around the antenna was was right up against the house so we didn't have many antenna radios then but nonetheless because it was a tip over antenna and we wanted to keep it somewhat uh, stealth we located it there and we made it tip over um, down toward the backyard now tip over is an old and obvious concept um, there's really nothing new to it except perhaps just experience talking to you here Joe and I have done this a couple of times I did it when I first moved into my house some 12 or 14 years ago and uh, um, wrote an article on it for QRP Homebrewing Magazine, one of the magazine we were doing for the New Jersey QRP Club back then. And uh, uh, in it is this photograph, this diagram that I show on the web page where I have two pipes that are mounted into cement. And in between those two pipes is a third pipe that extends up farther. And the, the, um, those three pipes are pinned together in two points. One is a locking, is a pivot pin. The top one is shown there. And the bottom one is a locking pin. So in other words, when the locking pin is out, that middle piece pivots down and uh, out of the way. Of course, that's the section of pipe. This is like two-inch uh, um, water pipe that I used. That section of pipe is what we connect the antenna to. And when we tip it down, the antenna itself, all 30 or 40 feet of it, is laying down along the ground. Um, and when we, and it's, and it's easy enough to, even with the antenna, to kind of um, pull it up and hold it in place and then put that locking pin in, um, in place. I think with the locking pin, Joe, I think we used like a, uh, a 5 8 inch carriage bolt that might have been about 4 inches, or actually probably about 6 inches in length. So that just slipped through. We had a heck of a time drilling the holes in the pipe. Um, kind of running short on batteries with our battery-operated drill. But nonetheless, we, uh, we made it through there. So the, the first photo below the diagram shows us digging the hole. And obviously, that's the biggest, uh, uh, the biggest challenge, I think. In, um, in the antenna construction area is, is just digging the hole because as you can see a little bit there, we encountered some rocks. We actually encountered a lot of rocks. And on a hot day, um, there's, a, there's a lot of sweat and effort that was expended in order to get those rocks out. A couple of false starts and the hole kind of grew from uh, over to one side where we found greater pathway down through the rocks. But ultimately we got it down and I think it was probably down around uh, 18 inches or so, if, if we were lucky, and maybe 24 inches. So we got it down about two feet. Would have gone lower, as the diagram indicates would be good, but we just did it as much as we could. And then we put those, uh, um, those angle anchors in place. And uh, I, guess, I guess we don't have uh, photos of the anchors. We had, we had more photos. And I only took a sample in here, but uh, like the diagram shows, we put ang we took angle iron and we pounded that in at an angle um, in three ways to sort of triangulate a uh, a very tight uh, um, fit, such that when we poured concrete into the hole, we would actually form all one big piece. And of course, the anchor would be from the downward two pipes that were pounded into the ground into the hole. And then the three angle irons that were pounded in at three different angles um, at about 45 degrees. So we put those angles, as the diagram indicates, we pounded them in such that they were below the level of the ground or below the level of the concrete. 
that ultimately covered it up. But after that set, we were all, um, it, was, it was really quite sturdy. And we used, uh, uh, it wasn't Quickcrete or Sackcrete. Uh, it was a different version of, uh, Joe can comment on this in a moment, but it was a fast setting concrete that was really easy to, uh, uh, to mix up. And it was really easy to pour. And then, gosh, uh, within a couple of hours, we took a good break for lunch after we uh, poured the concrete in the hole. And then uh, we were able to proceed thereafter carefully, but still it was set well enough. And you can see in my left hand, I'm holding the level. It's pretty essential, as you might think, just to make sure that the ultimate assembly is perpendicular to the earth uh, to get you just a symmetrical operation in the best uh, uh, looking type of antenna. Um, Joe, um, comments on this so far and maybe take it the next step? Sure, yeah, it, it was very important to get the uh, get the hole in there and uh, it was actually rebar, concrete reinforcing uh, uh, bar that we used for the um, the extra supports there. As George mentioned, we pounded them into the earth uh, on either side of the hole to gain extra purchase on uh, on the soil to provide for stability, a wider footprint. And we made sure that we had uh, a good good um, uh, amount of concrete in the hole to give a good solid base and friction against the ground to keep the thing, uh, keep it in place. Um, the pictures really don't tell the story um, <laughs> quite as well as they could. If you look at the very first picture, you can see to the left of my foot there, is one of the rocks. And that was uh, E Pluribus Unum. That was one of many. We didn't go but a couple inches down and uh, hit a rock. And as I noted in the uh, the extra notes, we used a pickaxe and a pry bar to get the uh, get the rocks. We went down as possibly as, as far as we could to get the darn thing in there, uh, to get that footing to get a good base. Um, at the very end, you'll note there's uh, some info on getting, uh, on finding out where the uh, uh, freeze line is at a given location. And um, it's indicated uh, something like 24 inches. We try to get a little bit below that um, in the West Virginia area, because if you don't get below that, you get what's called frost heaving. Uh, in the winter, freezing will drive um, posts or uh, concrete supports you have uh, buried in the ground, it'll drive them up out of the ground and, and knock the antenna over. So we had to very carefully do that to, uh, to get it in there. And then uh, very important, as George mentioned, we used a, uh, used a uh, level to level the darn thing off while the concrete was setting. And uh, you can see a couple extra pieces of rebar there to try to uh, support it while the concrete set. I think what we used actually was sacrete, which supposedly has uh, something like a, a 20 minute or 30 minute set time, and then a um, cure time measured in days. But uh, after several hours, we found that uh, it was definitely hard enough to, uh, to withstand putting the antenna up, erecting the antenna, and uh, it was not gonna go over. So it set pretty, pretty darn well. Um, very happy with that. And we made sure that we had a wide enough base um, to support this antenna because, uh, you know, a, a 30 some foot antenna is quite a lever arm and uh, you need a good, good solid base to, uh, to make sure it stays upright. Um, that's about it for the holes. I think uh, possibly um, you might want to talk about um, some uh, some of the aspects of the radials, George, which uh, was also another challenge because of the rocks in the soil. Yeah, it sure was, Joe. It sure was. And ground radials, um, actually, before we hit the ground radials, I wanted to mention ground. I think you said it, but I want to reinforce it. It's, it's just super important, as you might think, but it's worthy of underscoring the importance of grounding your antenna base. Um, you want to have as good and solid a ground as like a, a 0. 0.000 ohm resistance to ground um, or thereabouts that you that as good as you can get such that when you do have a lightning strike at some point it's going to go into the ground and not into your feed line into the house or or elsewhere where you don't want to now 
um, it wasn't clear necessarily now that I see the photo, the, one of the photos we were talking to, the rebar is used in, in the second photo there to, um, to prop up the, end, uh, the base pipes while we pour the concrete and let the concrete set. But you don't see it unless you know what you're looking for. I can actually see it. We have other rebar, and as Joe said, I, it was rebar that we used as the angle anchors, not uh, angle iron, as I said. But we put those uh, the rebar at 45 degree angles in three different directions, and that is below the level of the ground, but still within a hole, of course. And um, what we did was we took a grounding cable or wire, I forgot exactly what we used, but we tied all of that together. So we tied those three rebar pieces at three different directions at an angle into the ground around the, uh, the hole, as well as the antenna itself, and then we uh, used some clamps to put them all, of course, uh, at electrically the same potential, and uh, hopefully that's going to be adding a good ground to the system. We attempted uh, and only got part way to pound in a ground rod straight down into the hole, or sort of at an angle. And what we uh, uh, we did is we bound uh, we um, uh, bonded that also to the rebar, three rebar pieces, and then the pipe. So getting a good ground is essential. A ground rod is ideal. I think we were only able to get it down maybe three feet, three and a half, maybe four feet before it uh, uh, before it encountered an immovable object. And we just hacked it off there and let that be. Um, in fact, you might even be able to see that in the concrete. I think we had that extending up in the back corner of the concrete once the concrete was set. And of course, also, it wasn't, it wasn't um, two inches of uh, uh, iron water pipe that we were using. This, that was my own antenna in the backyard. This one here was two inch galvanized that we were using. Thick wall stuff, so it was pretty good. Okay, grounding, uh, ground, uh, ground radials. Um, there is an excellent ground radial kit that's available from DX Engineering. We have the reference to it at the bottom of the page in the reference section. So you can click on it and go to it and go to the DX Engineering site and see the ground radial uh, package. Uh, it, they offer that plate, that square plate that you see photographed there where it says the ground radial kit, that photo. So there's a, a large plate with like 500 nuts and bolts. It, it, it seemed like a lot of nuts and bolts around the perimeter. Um, with prepared, um, we, we, bought, we purchased the item uh, set that had uh, radial wires with prepared uh, cable ends um, um, lug terminals on the end of those wires. So we were just able to put them over the uh, whatever it was, quarter inch uh, bolts and tighten down the nuts with some uh, ratchet and, and uh, holding wrench and it worked out really well. It took a while to do it, um, but in general, of course, the more ground radials you have, the better. And um, there's this is sort of like religion and politics. Uh, you might have a feeling about ground radial effectiveness and some people like to bury them, some people like to elevate them, or whatever. It just turns out, at least from our opinion and our experience, that laying these out along the ground, right on the grass, and then letting the grass grow up and around it over, over a short time is the easiest and best uh, uh, solution. So the ground radials that we get are generally, that you want to be using, are generally a quarter wavelength in, in length and uh, uh, for each of the bands that you intend on operating. In our case, of course, there's uh, what we chose was a, uh, gosh, a nine, a seven band or nine band antenna. We didn't want to get to all those different um, uh, lengths. So we bought three lengths of uh, wire and then we interspersed um, them throughout that roughly 200 degree arc around the antenna. Uh, most of them heading toward the backyard were, were the most dense. And you can see from the, the diagram of the ground radials that uh, I sort of tried to depict that that interspersing of short length, medium length, long length, short length, and, and so on, pretty much as could fit into the lot. So we had anything ranging from, gosh, it might be like 15 feet up to 60 feet. And we had a whole bunch of, I don't want to, I, I didn't count them, but we had... Uh, a lot of radials. You can count around the perimeter of that uh, DX engineering plate how many nuts and bolts are. We figured, well, we might as well use all of the nuts and bolts that we have. Now, in retrospect, that was a 
Well, I wouldn't say it's a poor decision, but any kind of a decision to make and putting together a system, there's always uh, ramifications. The ramification on this one here is that I had to come back for the next two weekends in order to uh, pound little stakes or little uh, um, what they call wire staples into the ground. Picture a uh, picture a coat hanger, U, a U-shaped coat hanger, like a think of it as a maybe a big staple is what it turns out to be. And uh, DX Engineering supplies those very very well worth it. Yeah, like a like a bobby pin uh, of sorts, uh, a wide bobby pin. And you put that bobby pin or that staple over the wire, uh, open and downward, of course, and then you gently tap in each side such that that staple goes all the way into the ground or holds the ground radial to the close to the ground. If you have uneven ground, you need to use a lot of those staples, and that's the way it turned out to be at Nancy's place. So, um, and it was complicated by da da da. There are a lot of rocks in the ground, so I was forever bending over and and encountering rocks and. Uh, with the staples that I was trying to pound in, and my knees were sore, and my hand was sore, and there must have been hundreds and hundreds of staples. But we did a good job. We got it all in, and at the end of the day, I think the radials combined with a good ground, combined with a good antenna to begin with, combined with the tuning that we haven't yet talked about, all conspired to make this one heck of a really good inst uh, vertical installation. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, as I said at the start, I'm anticipating needing to do this again at my place uh, just because of weather and, and, and such and the trees that have encroached. So uh, I'm using this experience here as a really good uh, uh, trial for, or a good, a good model to be following uh, for my own. And um, lastly, before I toss it over to Joe, we connected the ground. You remember how the a vertical has a ground uh, pipe, uh, the, the pipe on which the antenna, the isolated antenna itself is mounted. And typically it's mounted uh, electrically through a an inductor, a coil of maybe 15 or 20 turns of enameled wire to the grounded portion of the antenna uh, post. And that's what's, that's what's connected to that third post that we have. In one of the photos you see numerous number six um, gauge um, electrical wire, red, insulation that are soldered in parallel and come down and bring the the grounding point, extend the grounding point from the bottom of the antenna, which is maybe about two feet above ground, down close to the bottom, um, to the base where the main grounding system is in the, uh, in the hole. That's one of the downsides of mounting an elevated, you know, two foot elevated uh, tip over antenna. You really can't get that, the ground portion of the antenna close to ground if you don't use some type of a, a flexible uh, um, ground uh, wire connection such as uh, we have there with the red ones. But life is a trade-off and that's uh, that's what we had to deal with. So some slight efficiencies, efficiency degradation or problems because of that, it's better to mount a vertical straight into the bottom and right in into the base. And something you could think about is lifting it up out of the base and tipping and, and setting it down. But we just chose to tip over because it's uh, just a lot easier for uh, elderly folks like Joe and myself to, to take care of and when a storm is coming up or when, we, when we're done operating. Okay, Joe, um, comments on the ground radios and take the next step. Okay, yeah, thank you, George. Yeah, that, um, as George mentioned, uh, connecting with the multiple wires was our uh, attempt at getting a good solid ground connection for the... Uh, for the antenna. Um, since the antenna is adjustable in length, uh, it, fortunately we were able to, uh, to get it resonant on all the, all the bands. The attempt using multiple conductors, heavy conductors, was to both minimize the, uh, the ground resistance, the extra resistance of the conductors for the ground, and to lessen the inductance of the uh, connection so that we would have minimum disturbance of the uh, um, of the ground connection. There is some some effect, but uh, minimal. As far as ground radials themselves, there's an excellent reference we've listed at the end of our um, our whiteboard uh, from um, uh, N6LF, Rudy Stevens, I think his name is, uh, Rudy Sevens, who has uh, written a number of articles in uh, QAX and 
QST on various aspects of ground radials. Um, he has some good guidelines. He has a number of graphs and, and some extensive measurements he's done on grounding systems, um, which tell you how um, how far you want to go. In truth, for a an antenna that's shorter than a quarter wavelength, um, well, for an antenna, a vertical antenna, um, you reach a point of diminishing returns when the radials are longer than uh, the height of the antenna. And once they're once they're buried in the ground, they're not uh, they're not resonant. They're certainly detuned by the presence of ground. So what we did was, as George mentioned, to make uh, makes use of short and long radials to get as many as we possibly could in there to get the uh, the best ground coverage to uh, to give a good uh, mirror a ground mirror for the antenna to work against um, given the uh, the constraints of uh, size and uh, uh, space that we had. But uh, we think it's a pretty good job. And uh, some of the measurements we did at the end um, proved this to us, that uh, the thing was behaving very well. Um, I think I'll, I'll discuss, uh, oh, one, one thing. If, if you look at the sketch of the butternut, which is just after the pictures in the white space, you can see some of those decoupling stubs and uh, some radiators and that coil at the bottom that George mentioned, uh, it's um, six or eight turns of uh, 12 gauge wire. That puts the antenna at uh, DC ground so that um, it, uh, it will drain static off the antenna and not conduct it up the coax into the house, which is a very good thing, very effective. Um, in tuning the antenna, what we did was, you, you have to go a step at a time there and um, I forget the exact order we went in, but you have to basically tune one band at a time and um, tilt the antenna over, do a trial adjustment, and then measure the resonant point of the antenna. We were fortunate enough to have a, uh, an AIM um, 4170 antenna analyzer, which is a expensive but very good device that uh, is able to measure the uh, um, the impedance of the antenna, the SWR, uh, the phase angle, and, and a number of other things to get it resonant. And uh, you can see plots of the the scans of, it, of each band we did. And like I say, we did them one at a time, went through the process, and uh, captured the scans. These are photos of, uh, these are screenshots of what we did when we were, we were uh, adjusting it. We tried to get the resonant point in the uh, primarily in the CW end of the band for uh, Nancy Feeney, because uh, we thought that was where she was going to be operating, and uh, to center it on the um, on the appropriate segments, uh, and we left a copy of the plots on her computer. Uh, I always like to do this when I put an antenna up, and can take some careful measurements, so that if you suspect there's some change in the antenna, if something's degraded in the future. You can always uh, repeat the measurement, and you'll have a, a standard to judge against as to whether or not the antenna has uh, has changed over time, has degraded, or whatever. It's always good to have that uh, that standard thing, um, both paper file and a computer file to uh, to compare it against. I can't say enough good about the, the AIM. Um, I've used other instruments, uh, and to me, who happens to live in an area with a awful lot of stray RF from um, AM broadcast and uh, any number of uh, VHF and UHF TV and commercial transmitters. Um, I have to have an instrument that's very, very strong to measure antennas that can stand all this stray RF. And uh, the AIM is one instrument that does that very well. Unfortunately, some of the other antenna analyzers tend to um, give you inconsistent, inconsistent or uh, false results under strong signal conditions. And um, the aim has, has been very good to me. And it's, it's relatively easy to use once you get used to it. Um, and very easy to document what you've done. In the end, um, I think we did a, a pretty darn good system for Nancy. It's a turnkey system. All she has to do is uh, put the antenna up herself or have someone else put it up, um, connect the, uh, the rig to her, the feed line and get on the air. Um, the multibanding of the uh, butternut 
makes it very easy for this to uh, to do. And uh, its design and the fact that we tried to take a lot of care in installing the antenna means it's going to be a good performer over a uh, long period of time. Uh, and uh, as with any job, it took a lot more effort than we ever thought it would, most of which was uh, was done by George. Um, what have I left out, George? Go ahead, fill, fill in. No, I wouldn't say that most of it was done by me. I'll tell you, it was, we were both sweating at the end of that uh, our whole activity. Nancy, uh, Nancy has some um, physical challenges these days. So what we did is we relocated her K3 up to her kitchen, which is on the first floor next to the window that looks out to that antenna. So in any of the pictures of the antenna, if you envision off to the right, just out of the picture is Nancy's um, um, kitchen antenna. And I'm sorry, her kitchen window. And we have the antenna feed line um, going along the ground and up to that. And ultimately we put a uh, double barrel coax connector there going through the window, make it nice and uh, uh, RF tight and also the little section there that allows her to close the window to keep the bad weather out when needed. And then just a short length that goes to her KX, uh, uh, not the KX3, but the K3. So um, she's able to use it. And as Joe said, it's a turnkey. There's no antenna tuner that's required. Of course, because it's a multi-band resonant antenna and uh, in the ham bands. And that's exactly how she uses it with her. Uh, she's got a matching P3, uh, which is the pan adapter. And she's got the... Um, new PSK digital modem sitting right there, and also her SDR cube. So all three of those things are able to uh, connect up as a system and uh, use the antenna. A couple of words on the antenna measurement uh, process, and I thought I thought it was, uh, that I think is, is pretty valid. Um, the way that we worked it was that Joe, <laughs> Joe sat inside in a nice, cool, air-conditioned kitchen with a with a glass of iced tea sitting there with Nancy looking at the uh, at the controls for the AIM 470. And what uh, I was doing was out on a ladder. Uh, Nancy had a tall step ladder that we set up right next to the antenna and iteratively, quite iteratively, uh, many times I would be going up and down the ladder and I'd be moving the adjustment on some of those uh, uh, those coils that Joe was talking about. And uh, he would say, make it bigger, make it smaller, whatever. And then I would do that. And we started, I th I'm pretty sure it was at the low end. Uh, at, uh, I'm sorry, bandwise. It, so it, it, at the higher frequencies, we started at the higher frequencies and uh, moved up, I believe, or moved down at frequencies to the, to the lower frequencies. And sequentially, band by band, until we got uh, each of those SWR readings, uh, uh, reading dipping right where we wanted to have them. I showed uh, three sample um, AIM plots, uh, plots from the AIM antenna analyzer, one for 80 meters, one for 40, and one for 10. And each, of course, has its, different, its, its own characteristic look about uh, the performance. The red line is the SWR. If you cannot read it, uh, the, there are one, two, three, four, five, maybe six different um, characteristics that are shown on each of those plots. The red one is the SWR. It's the one of uh, first and, and uh, ready uh, um, interest, where it shows, of course, the dip is where the resonant frequency is. On 80 meters, it's, it dips right there at 3.5 megahertz. So, um, Two things that are of great interest, of course, when tuning an antenna. Um, one is where the dip actually happens, uh, where the, the deepest part of the dip is. You want to be sure that's centered, um, and I say centered, in the band area of, uh, of interest. Nancy is uh, a CW person, so she is most interested uh, um, in, in the lower end of each of the band segments. So we made an effort to make the resonant point, the lowest dip point, in the middle of the CW band. Now, why I say the middle is because each antenna resonance has a a width associated, a bandwidth associated with it. In other words, how steep, 
or how wide, in other words, the, um, the, the actual dip of the, the resonance is. And generally speaking, um, that's one way of looking at how, uh, or looking at the antenna's cue or the, how well an antenna is performing, all things considered. And in each case, you'll see different ways that, that at that band the antenna is performing. But in general, you can see where we put it uh, to the area of interest. So we've got curve or plots for each of the bands and um, all, all nine of them. And uh, you can just imagine uh, Joe sipping the iced tea in the cool of the kitchen while I'm up on and down that ladder changing things and shouting through the window as far as, how is it now? How is it now? But that iterative effort was definitely worth the while. And of course, you can only do that after your ground radials are installed and making it uh, all operate well as a system. In the last photo, you of course, uh, you see Nancy, um, very appreciative Nancy at that point, and uh, with her antenna up. And I think a point that I wanted to make about the, grain, the ground radials, I mentioned it in passing, if you've not put ground radials laying them along the ground. You're in for a real treat if you've got a grass um, yard that you're doing this in. Because if you can get those ground radials held down tight to the ground, and ideally to do it in the springtime um, or the late winter, whenever the grass is uh, not growing, uh, the grass will grow up and around and ultimately capture and hold down the ground radials. And it holds it nice and tight to the ground, such that you ultimately don't even see it. You can run your ground, your uh, your lawnmower over it, and, and not have any worry about uh, catching or cutting the ground radials. It's the the initial effort of stapling it down that's that's quite the effort. Um, but all of that hard effort does pay in because you can't even, even though we just installed it, it's still like you can't see you cannot see the ground radials there um, at at that inst antenna installation. And uh, it, it turned out pretty good. She's using it right up to right up to today on a regular basis. She, I'm not sure, sure if she or her daughter goes out and raises it or tips it over and, or brings it up when she wants to use it. But uh, it's been uh, she's she's run a a bit of a characteristic comparison from time to time. And in the year, or a little bit less than a year that it's been up, um, it's it's not degraded in, in performance to any great extent at least to what, uh, we, what we can determine. So having gone through the whole process of uh, choosing a site, choosing an antenna, digging a hole, putting concrete in, laying out some ground, uh, grounding, grounding the base, laying out some ground radials, and tuning, uh, tuning the system. Um, does anybody have any questions or maybe some personal experiences that maybe you have uh, encountered along the way that you'd like to share with the group? Is, yeah, uh, Armand, go ahead. Uh, good, good evening. Am I uh, coming through okay, uh, George? Yeah, loud and clear. Oh, excellent. Um, one question I had was that uh, ground plate with all the radials coming off of it, um, that sits there exposed. Is there any sort of, uh, uh, co not covering, but uh, uh, insulation or anything that can be pasted on there to help to keep them from uh, from weathering? Well, the aluminum doesn't weather too badly. The nuts and bolts and the connectors uh, are stainless steel, so they're not going to rust. There's also some goop, now, now that you say that. There's some goop that, again, we got from DX Engineering that helps, the electric, uh, helps uh, keep uh, oxygen away from the connections and thus helps against, helps prevent uh, the natural um, oxidation that will occur. Uh, something that you can do, uh, I do it in my back, is I covered it up with dirt. <laughs> I just covered it up, and right now I've got grass right over the whole thing, and there's no way that... Uh, um, oh, and Joe says that even the plate was stainless steel, so very good. So that's not going to cause a problem. So yeah, I covered it up with dirt. You could you could put plants around the base. You hide the, the, the base itself. I've done that in the past, and uh, even put sod right up and over that whole hole, the whole hole. And ultimately, uh, make it less uh, noticeable to the XYL. <laughs> Very good. Thanks a lot, George. Has anybody else had some experiences in putting up a vertical antenna like this or in a different manner? 
now admittedly you can uh, uh, you, in that last photo you can see a big old sledgehammer that I have in my hand um, over my shoulder you can use that to pound something into the ground to get something up pretty quick and of course throwing out some ground radials is always the case uh, and, and easiest thing to do and you can sometimes that you can do that for field day real real simple and that's a quick and easy installation that can come down the next uh, that night or the next day in our case here and maybe in, in your case if you want to be installing a vertical at some point um, you want to think about durability up here in the northeast where we are uh, Joe and I um, I'm in Maryland he's in, in New Jersey we get a fair amount of snow and and the frost upheaval as, as Joe said so anything that we do less than utmost durable is going to come down in one fashion or another or, or degrade so the more effort that you put into something like this the better it's going to hold up and uh, like anything the better job you do it at the onset uh, means it's going to last longer Joe um, anything else um, as we kind of wrap it up here uh, no I, I really can't think of too much George uh, we we did as, as George has uh, uh, pointed out we tried to do everything uh, as best we possibly could uh, to the extent possible and um, having the availability of that, uh, that ground, ground radio, radio kit, kit. Uh, John uh, you, John, have, a you have a question yeah um, this is John NS5Z down here in Bossier City Louisiana just wanted to say we had a really great time up at Ozark Con and uh, those guys Terry and those guys just put on a wonderful show but at any rate my question is could you uh, comment a little bit more on the uh, coil of wire for the uh, for the ground uh, you mean the um, the grounding of the uh, vertical the the coil that goes from the vertical element to ground uh, yes please okay yeah that was something that came with the butternut vertical um, it has enough inductance that uh, across a 50 ohm a 50 ohm feed point, um, it's not going to have uh, an appreciable effect on the tuning, but it does have a very good uh, low DC um, DC conductivity to uh, drain static from the antenna. It's a feature of the butternut antenna itself. Uh, nothing special we had to do other than uh, be sure we uh, installed it. Yeah, uh, you know, I was just thinking about uh, applying that to my uh, uh, antenna system here. I have a U.S. Towers 55-foot uh, rotatable pole, and I worry about static building up on that thing. Yeah, well, it's not a bad idea to put something like that in. People have put all sorts of um, static drains and whatever else, but like I say, um, you could scale, you could probably even find from someone the diameter at coil, how many turns it is. I think it's 12 gauge wire and you could just duplicate that for yourself. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm thinking we have a lot of storms down here, so uh, I'm gonna do that. Thank you very much, appreciate it. No problem. Um, yeah, I had a point to make about grounds and ground systems, I forgot what it was. Oh, the fact that we were able to get that plate from, uh, from DX Engineering. Uh, it is a stainless steel plate. It's a very good quality plate. Uh, it's all stainless steel hardware. Uh, it's, already, it's already there. there. There's nothing you have to do other than tediously put it all together. And they even include washers and lock washers with the hardware. And the, um, the conductive uh, protective goop that you put on each connection so that it protects it from the weather and gives you a good solid connection that's, uh, uh, that's going to last a good long time. We're very, very impressed with that. I've tried to duplicate something like that myself, gone to a lot of pains, and um, uh, the older I get, uh, the more I like it when somebody gives me a, a complete package that does a good job. Hats off to uh, DX Engineering for that and for um, offering the grand radio systems. I've got to say that uh, the cost of buying those things from them is uh, uh, <laughs> it's probably almost less than it would be if you tried to do it all yourself. So I uh, speak very highly of that. We tried to do the best possible job we could for Nancy, and I think we've done something that uh, has done quite well. Uh, and it should stand the test of time and uh, give her a lot of uh, good results without her having to uh, to worry about things and uh, 
the stealthy ins installation of the uh, of the antenna helps um, keep uh, good relations with the neighbors as well. Back to you, George. Alrighty. So, any uh, any final questions before we do wrap it up here? Um, I'll have just something, have just to, something to, to to finish things up. Uh, somebody keyed up. Go ahead. Yeah, this is Rick K3IND. Uh, just a couple of comments. One, uh, congratulations to both of you. This is the first time we are hour long. Your show has uh, taken almost exactly an hour. You're getting uh, getting the hang of this uh, radio thing. Uh, secondly, uh, you mentioned the uh, simple SDR uh, receiver, and I was impressed enough with the, the article to go ahead and purchase one myself. So if anybody has any questions about that, uh, I'll be happy to, to talk uh, either offline or uh, at the end of the, uh, the discussion here. Well, thanks a lot, Rick. That's that's good. Um, that kind of dovetails with uh, something I was going to mention too. Any final comments or questions? Mr. Ottenberg, go ahead, please. Yeah, I had a personal question. Uh, did you get the package that I mailed off to you? <laughs> yes, I did. Thanks so much. Okay, glad you got it. Uh, we'll hopefully see you next week. Take care. Good enough, Dave. Uh, was there another uh, another light there, Armin? Did you want to say something else? Yeah, one uh, one last question, George. What uh, what did you use as a a feed line uh, for Nancy? A feed line was just a standard uh, uh, coax uh, fifty ohm RG eight X, I think, or it might have been the uh, uh, the higher performance two eighteen uh, Belden two eighteen. Joe, do you recall what it was? It was uh, Belden 9914, and uh, mention the connectors. Uh, remind me about the connectors. When we first hooked the antenna up, it didn't work, even though we had factory-installed connectors on the cable. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. That's, that's right. In fact, that got us into one of our first uh, uh, discussions. I think it was at a local club meeting about... Uh, and we had a discussion here too about uh, coax cables that had uh, uh, connectors, PL259s or the female SO239 versions on it. Um, all, all coaxes and cables are not created equally, as we found out. And we put the uh, a prepared cable. And like, Gosh, um, I forgot where she got the cable from, but nonetheless, it came prepared. With the connectors on and we connected it all up eagerly went into the house to see how the first scans looked and man we thought there was something wrong with it so long story short for the next uh, hour or so and then again later on uh, we had the big old soldering gun like you know the 150 watt uh, um, weller uh, and some pl259 connectors and chopped off the cable and i think one of the things i despise most uh, one of the things I hate, I dislike the most um, uh, about this hobby is having to put PL259 connectors on cables. And son of a gun, if we had to do it there, we thought we were lucky since we bought the cables with prepared connectors on the ends. But uh, short, I think we had an open. That was the case there. Wasn't that that, Joe? Yeah, it was open. And when you jiggled it, it kind of sort of worked part of the time. Yeah, don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> okay. Alrighty then. Um, let's let's put a wrap on this topic. Uh, thank uh, everybody very much for attending. I wanted to mention just uh, too. We're, we're going to open just a, a few minute uh, session section at the end of each uh, um, section uh, of each week's uh, presentation here. Uh, call it the mail folder. Um, our buddy Bill Mura calls it uh, uh, the mailbag. Um, nonetheless, I wanted to address some of the questions and emails. Uh, that have been coming in from from uh, podcasters as well as those live here listening, and pretty much as right now it's just feedback on suggestions for future topics. To give you a little bit of visibility, guys have been writing uh, us um, with suggestions on on the, how to run the program. Keeping it to one hour is uh, is indeed one of them, Rick. So we're we're working on that. Another one, uh, there's a suggestions for having a sec um, a weekly session that talks about 
single sideband rigs or phone operation. The availability of uh, um, phone-based kits and uh, uh, what, what some of the issues are there. Another one suggestion for topic was Manhattan-style construction or ugly-style construction of uh, circuits. Another one is uh, reflectometer bridge techniques. All the different kinds or ways that one has to determine forward power and reverse power and or impedance. That was of interest to a couple of guys who uh, emailed us, so we might have a session on that in the future. Another one was uh, uh, the design, uh, the, a design analysis of the Micro 908. Some of you know that we're coming out with an updated version and uh, going through the design in a in kind of a uh, pedantic manner is uh, it might be illustrative of various techniques that uh, uh, fundamentally Joe with his reflectometer and, and I with the microcontroller part uh, employed along the way that you might be able to uh, use elsewhere. Another one is a, uh, a novel RF power amp controller. I'm not going to say too much about that now because that's some good news coming along shortly but some interesting ways to control an RF power amp, to measure and control an RF power amp. Another one is a section, or a part two of our basic oscilloscope operation from our buddy uh, uh, presentation that we had last week. And then lastly, as Rick sort of um, indicated, uh, the, sam uh, the simple SDR design was suggested by a couple of folks as something that would be interesting to go through. And what it, how... Uh, how is that actually constructed all in one chip? System on a chip, SOC, is a really interesting way to design. Maybe not the most performances achieved or achievable, but it's a really clever uh, design and an implementation that might find a place on your shack, uh, on uh, the table there in your shack uh, at some point. Okay, that's it. I uh, want to thank everybody for attending here today. Um, we enjoyed the presentation and it's fun stuff. We enjoy sharing some of the techniques. I mostly enjoy hearing back from you on uh, what your techniques were or some other ideas that you had along the way. Thank you indeed for um, giving us the input on uh, the text, uh, the, the text section of the of the webpage, and for uh, helping to support Chat with the Designers. Once again, this is George N2APB and co-host Joe N2CX. Thank you everybody for attending this session of the chat with the designers and we'll see you all next Tuesday. Good night all. Please tune in next week for the next session of chat with the designers. Mm -hmm.